He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning. So good to share this morning with you, and as we've been kind of navigating through music and through confession, we're in Psalm 23 this morning, and because we're going to be there and we're going to refer to it, I just want to invite you to turn your Bibles there. If you're using one of our blue Bibles, it's on page 441 and 442, page 441 and 442. Psalm 23 is one of the most familiar passages probably in the whole Psalter and all the 150 Psalms. Uh, The question I've been thinking a lot about is, is this Psalm as familiar as it is? Is it foundational for us in our lives? Have we understood what it means and have we incorporated it and do we live it out in our life or is it just poetic words that we find beautiful? Historically, the Psalm has been used to comfort, hasn't it? It is what the soldier recites in the foxhole before he has to charge. It is what uh, the person who is on their deathbed right before they die asks the preacher to read to them one last time as they take their last breath, right? Man, this is a happy sermon already, isn't it? It is the sermon, it is the psalm that gets read at almost every funeral as the grieving uh, remember the one that they have lost. And I've been thinking about this psalm in in the context of how it brings comfort to those who are grieving. And I've been been processing through it and thinking, what does this psalm have to teach us when we're not grieving? Is, is Is it for us then too? And why has it been such a comfort to so many who have struggled so intensely? As I reflected, I think there's a couple things that I've come to the conclusion of. This psalm is uniquely and intensely personal. As you heard it read, do you remember what it said? The Lord is my shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, right? It's it's intensely personal. The shepherd theme in uh, the ancient Near East was often used as a king leading his people. As the king was the shepherd, and it was like a corporate thing, like the king is our shepherd, and he will lead us to where we need to go. But here in Psalm 23, it is uniquely and intensely personal. God is my God, and he is there for me. I shall not want. But the psalm is also intensely realistic, or incredibly realistic, is it not? The psalm gives witness to two dueling presents, doesn't it? The Lord, our shepherd, on one side, and the valley of the shadow of death or the presence of my enemies on the other. The message of the psalm is that the fear that we face in our lives when we go through the valley of the shadow of death is more than balanced and is outweighed by the presence of God who provides courage and who overcomes our fears, even in the most incredible terrors, right? 
in the times of darkest night. The true setting of this psalm is in our head. It's existential. It's the crises of our minds where we wonder to ourselves, is God really there when things are not going well? And according to the witness of the psalm, the Lord in the, present, in the presence of such terrible difficulty can also be found in that place, right? The Lord can be found in that place. The psalm teaches us simply, and if you were to summarize it in a couple simple words, it just simply teaches us that God is with us, that God is with us, that God is with us right now, whatever we are in, whether it is good or bad times, that no matter what you have going on in your life, God is with you right now. As Chris taught us in confessional this morning, I ask you, do you believe this? And this morning, I hope to show you why you should. And so to that end, let's get right into the psalm. What I hope to show you this morning is that the two ways that David, the psalm writer, that David shows us that if we change our perspective, we can experience the presence of God right now, no matter what we have going on. Two ways that we need to change our perspective. The first is this, and we see them both in the first verse. The first is this, that we are helpless. If we change our perspective, we must change it to a place where we understand before God, we are helpless. The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, the Lord is my shepherd. I read a commentary this week where it said something like this, and I am so stupid when it comes to like agriculture stuff, but it said something like this, goats are incredibly independent. They can live in the mountains without hardly anything, right? They forage for food. They can run up hills and run down them with equal ease. You know, I'm easier going up now than I'm going down, which kind of scares me already. Um, But goats are incredibly independent, but sheep are incredibly dependent, right? The sheep depend on the shepherd to find food or pasture and to find water. The shepherd also provides shelter, medication, protection, and aid in birthing. In other words, in sum, the commentator said, sheep are completely helpless without the shepherd, right? And yet here is the imagery. The Lord is my shepherd. And I've been thinking this week, just how difficult it is to see God through the eyes of self-sufficiency. Does this make sense to you? How difficult it is to see God through glasses or through the lens of self-sufficiency. I was even thinking about this with my kids and how we teach them to say grace. And some people, every so often, you know, in Christian subculture, people are like, why do we say grace? There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that we should say grace, you know, before our food, before we eat. If you've been around me when you say grace before a meal, I have a very simple grace. Dear God, thank you for this food. Amen. Yes? Because the food's hot and it should be eaten then. Yeah? But at, at a base level, what is grace doing for us before a meal? What is grace doing for us? I teach my kids this maybe every, every uh, six months or so, every couple times a year, just so they don't forget. I don't do it all the time. But I say, boys, do you know why we say grace? It's not just, you know, a throw-in before the food. What we are really saying is, you know, I know that I worked hard, and I know because I worked, I made this money, 
But God, I am acknowledging that it is not my cleverness, it is not my hard work, but it is your presence and power in my life that allows me to work hard, to be clever, to whatever level I am or you are. And it is because of you that I have food, right? It is through the lens, grace is the lens of helplessness. And through the lens of helplessness, we see God. Through the lens of self-sufficiency, we do not. The Lord is my shepherd. What we are saying when we declare this is, and this is a reason why a lot of people have a hard time finding God, and it's actually one of the real good reasons why they have a hard time finding God. The major reason people don't find God is because they do not think they need him, and they push him away. And yet, to find, to see, to experience God, there must become a place in each one of our lives where we say, God, without you, I am nothing. Or we say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Without him, I would be utterly and completely lost. But the psalm teaches us to change our perspective in another way, does it not? And it's all in verse 1. But then the psalmist goes on, David, to explain it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What is he saying? He's saying we are taken care of, right? Just very simply, we are taken care of. We are helpless, but we are taken care of. What does it mean? And I've been thinking through this and processing this all week, you know, because I'm just like a, I'm just, I just tend to be all up in my head and thinking through every exception, right? I shall not want, but what about all the people in the world that want for all kinds of things? And you know what I'm tempted to do when I go to Psalm 23 is I'm tempted to say, well, the wanting must be something other than physical because there's all kinds of people that are wanting for physical needs, right? Maybe not here in Canadagua and yet here in Canadagua. But around the world, people are wanting for all kinds of things that we could say are needs. And surely some of these are Christians, right? In fact, just think about this for a second. The most uh, popularized way this psalm has been used is the foxhole, the deathbed, the funeral. And at that moment, there is real want, right? As the person takes their last breath, they are claiming and proclaiming the promise of Psalm 23 as they take their last breath. So what are we not wanting for? I was thinking through it, and I was thinking, it would be so easy to say to myself, well, this is just metaphor, you know? This is just metaphor. Uh, I shall not want. Is some spiritual or emotional sense in which if I really trust God emotionally and spiritually, he will meet my needs. And I think this is true, but it is not the full truth. Let me take you through what this psalm says. It would just be bad Bible interpretation to say that when we proclaim the Lord is our shepherd, that we are not going to not want physically. For listen to the language. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, lay, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Yes? What is this? I'm not a sheep, but that's food, right? <laughs> that's food. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The imagery here is of a sheep that is so full of green grass that he lies down in contentment, just like you or I do after a lot of turkey on Thanksgiving, right? And we watch football, or some of us just fall asleep, right? That's the picture. 
I sh- <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In Israel, it was an arid climate. There wasn't a lot of rain. Have you been to Arizona, you know? There's just not a lot of green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Then he leads me beside quiet waters. What is this? It is water. It is water. And we know just how difficult it is if we go without water, but we need the refreshment of the physical nourishment of food and water. And what does the water do according to the psalmist? It restores our soul, right? It replenishes us in our innermost being. It replenishes us. He restores my soul. The next thing the text says is that he guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Again, we get the experience of something physical, direction. He guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The reference to his name's sake is a claim on God's promises and on God's character. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's giving me guidance and direction in life because the sheep is helpless. So he's providing us food. He's providing us water. He's providing us direction, guidance, and how we should go in our life. And then next, he provides us with protection, right? For yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And what does it say next? For your rod and your staff, they bring me comfort. Again, I'm no shepherd. But apparently, the shepherd had two main instruments that they would carry around. They had their staff and they had their rod. The rod was like a club that they'd put on their buckle belt, or so commentaries tell me. And the staff was something they would use to guide the sheep, and also they would use it as a weapon. So what what are we saying when we're saying, your rod and your staff, they comfort me? We're looking at God, and we're saying... He holds the, imp- the instruments of our protection, right? Yeah, spiritually, yeah, emotionally, but physically, he protects us. He guides us. He leads us to water, and he leads us to food so that we're so content. We're like a Thanksgiving happy man or woman at 4 o'clock after the meal is served, right? Physical, spiritual. He refreshes my soul and emotional. Or emotional, he refreshes my soul. And lastly, spiritual. They're all three present. Spiritual. For God offers us intimacy with him, right? For you are with me. For you are with me. And now in verse 5, the psalm transforms or it changes direction. In verses 1 through 4, the, psalmist is the, the psalm is the theme of the shepherd leading his sheep. But now in verse 5, it changes. And the imagery is no longer of a shepherd leading his sheep, but of a host preparing a banquet meal, right? He prepares a table and he puts it out before me in the presence of my enemies in the same way of the valley of the shadow of the death. The presence of my enemy parallels the valley of the shadow of death. He sets a table in the presence of my enemies. And what does it say? He anoints my head with oil. This is a reference to honor. When you'd have an esteemed guest in the ancient Near Eastern world, they would come to your house and you would anoint their head with oil and it would make their countenance shine and it would make them smell good, right? In a world where showers weren't so plentiful, yeah? 
He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Have you ever been to a good dinner party where they serve wine? The host just keeps pouring it. You know, you're just like, stop, stop. You know, or I am. Maybe some of you aren't. But I'm like, I can't do anymore, right? Stop. Wine throughout, throughout the Bible is like this thing that <laughs> represents goodness and plenty. It is a place in the kingdom of God where we are told that wine will overflow, right? My cup overflows. Maybe it's grape juice. Who cares, right? <laughs> now, my cup overflows. And then what does it say? Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me. This language of pursuit should remind us of all kinds of things. It reminds me of the pursuit that God has for each one of us. It reminds me of the pursuit that it has for Jonah. The language of pursuit, uh, the Hebrew word I read, uh, I was reading in commentators this week, there was this thing in the Old Testament where there was these cities of refuge, you know? And what, ha- what would happen was this word was used for the cities of refuge because if you had accidentally killed a person, the Old Testament had these cities of refuge, and you would flee to a city of refuge, and there would be the man that was coming to kill you because you killed someone they cared about, and it was this language of pursuit. I guarantee you this is what they would have thought of when they read this language, but here it is not the avenger of death or the, the person seeking revenge that is pursuing after you. It is God's goodness in his mercy that pursues you, right? His goodness in his mercy. Isn't that incredibly comforting language? That no matter where you are in your life, that God is pursuing after you. And what is he pursuing you af- after you with? His love, his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. And we have this ending, right? And surely... I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think think today, especially for us who are Christians, we can sometimes take uh, this intimacy with God for granted or the presence of God for granted as we are taught that like the Holy Spirit indwells us and we have the word of God so plentiful. Like I could give a hundred copies away right now. You could just take it home, right? Or if you wanted, you could just download a copy on your phone for free. And the word of God is so plentiful. It is so present and his presence is always there. And yet so few of us engage with him as often as we should, right? But the Old Testament, uh, ancient Israelite did something a couple times a year and they longed to come into the presence of the Lord. And what they did was they went on pilgrimage to the site in Jerusalem where the temple was, and they spent time with God where his presence dwelt. And what does the psalm say? And I can be in his presence forever. The picture is of this banquet where God, our host, honors us. He nourishes us with plenty. He pursues after us with his goodness and love, and you can stay at that house as long as you want forevermore. Does this make sense? So why has it been a comfort to so many? Why has Psalm 23 been a comfort? The psalm is telling us that it is possible to experience the gracious presence of God and to receive the abundance of life right now in the midst of whatever life is throwing at you. The abundance of life he offers is right now for the present, right? 
He doesn't say, the Lord will be my shepherd and one day I'll go to heaven when I die. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness, you know, and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever, right? Right now, God's presence is with us. Psalm 23 subverts a dominant cultural theme that so many people in our world believe, which is this, that we can only know God in the good times, right? How could God possibly be present in the bad times? The psalm asserts that, yes, the Lord is present in the green pastures, he's present in the still waters, and he's present along the paths of righteousness, but he is also present in the presence of my enemies and in the valley of the shadow of death. This week, I read a story about a pastor who was in his first uh, pastorate, and he was working under another pastor. And during the time that he was there, his, the lead pastor at the church he was at lost his daughter, right? She was 34 years old, and she suddenly died. And so the young pastor is now in the position of dealing with this older pastor who is grieving very deeply. And the older pastor finally one day sat down and turned to his, I guess, apprentice pastor, however you want to say this. And he says this, you never get over some of the difficult things that we go through in life. And in fact, there are some things that you do not want to get over, right? For that pastor, what would be getting over What would it look like to get over his grief? Forgetting his daughter, I guess, right? Does this make sense? And so there are some things in life that you never get over and you do not want to get over, but through it all, there is one promise that is most important. And it is very simple, that God is with us. Do you see? That God is with us. Would you stand with me for the benediction? As you leave this morning, remember this promise that we can claim. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you and give you peace. Amen. It was a pleasure to share this morning with you. Have a great Sunday.